Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Amen. Those of you who like to read from your um, hardcover Bibles, you're welcome to turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. Just going to be reading a few verses from there. Um, it will also be up on the screen. I'll be reading from the, from the NIV translation. And um, this is an interesting scripture that contains a few interesting elements, especially to us as modern people, some things that we're not used to. But let me, let me just read it to you, and then we, then, I'll, uh, then we can discuss it. So Genesis 15 starts and says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield and your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is from your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited God credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the, the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a, th- uh, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. And we see here that... Abraham is talking to God, God is talking to Abraham about certain commitments or certain promises that God had made before. Like if you go and read in Genesis chapter 12, you'll see God making certain promises. He said, I'll make you a great nation. And Abraham's like, "Uh, God, how's that going to happen if I don't have any children? (laughs) You know? So this, this portion is all about the children and the land, because those are the two things that you need in order to be a nation. You need descendants, and you need a land. You need a, you know, a, a place where those descendants can live. And, and, and this is all about that. Um, but God says to him at some stage, to, to reassure Abraham of these two things, he, he says to Abraham, and, and just by the way, Abraham is like the father of the faith, so he's like a faith hero, but, but even he clearly doubted. I mean, you can hear a bit of accusation in his, in his voice when he says, you have given me no children. <laughs> you can like, God, <laughs> you're, not, you, you, you're not actually being faithful to your part of the deal. You're not actually, you know, doing your part of the deal. And God is like, 
just, just hang in there, you know, this Eliezer of Damascus, because he's also like, okay, you know, you're not giving me any children, so I'll just sort of organize an heir for myself, you know, and God is like, no, a child from your own body will be your heir, and then he says, how will I know that I will take possession of the land, and then God says to him, bring animals, and, and, and you know, it's, God doesn't tell him what to do with the animals, but it's clear that Abraham knew what to do with the animals. And what he did was he took the animals and he cut them in half down the middle and he, and he put the two pieces, the carcasses. It's a bit grisly and, you know, <laughs> graphic for us as modern people. You know, opposite each other, you know, in, in like a row so he could walk between them. And it's clear Abraham knew what to do with these carcasses and he knew what God expected. And, and what God was doing was a covenant renewal. It, it, was, it was covenant relationship. And covenant is, is something that many modern people don't really know or understand. We, we know the words. Some of us know the word covenant. We might know it from marriage, like marriage is a covenant. But it's not something that we're as familiar with. And often when we read in the Bible, we read about witnesses to the covenant. We read about terms or vows that, that are being made. We, we read about animals being slaughtered and sacrificed. Um, we, we read about people actually, you know, say, making cuts in their hands and mixing blood like David and Jonathan did, and, and, or planting memorial trees or eating memorial meals and all that kind of stuff. Now, some, those are all terms. Those are all elements of covenant. And the Bible, in a sense, assumes that its original readers knew, knew the, all those practices so well that you can just mention one or two of them and the audience will know exactly what you're talking about. You're talking about covenant and, and the rituals or ceremonies of covenant. But as modern people, sometimes we don't understand that and we don't always appreciate and understand covenant relationship. Now, there are two kinds of relationship that you can have. Um, you can have covenant relationship or you can have consumer relationships and there's a difference between the two and let me just right at the beginning of of, of the scripture just bring up that first slide of genesis, of genesis 15 um okay just the next slide thank you um so just the the the, the, that first part where God says to, to Abraham, do not be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield, your very great reward. The difference between a consumer relationship and a covenant relationship is in both you give something. So in a consumer relationship, it's, it's, a, it's a give and take. It's transactional. It's commercial. It's you give uh, I give you this and you give me that. I scratch your back, you scratch my back. You know, it's, it, there's a give and receive. Um, in a covenant relationship, there's also that. There's also a giving and receiving. But there's not just a giving and receiving of goods and services. There's a giving of yourself. So God says to Abraham, I, don't be afraid. I'm your shield. There's protection I give you. And I'm your very great reward. I'm not just giving you protection. I'm not just giving you something. I'm giving you myself. And that's the big difference, or one of the big differences between a consumer relationship and a covenant relationship. In a covenant relationship, you give yourself. You don't just give goods and services. 
Now, um, the difference between, I just made sort of a list. I don't know if you guys can bring up um, the, that list. And the first difference between a consumer relationship and a covenant relationship is a consumer relationship is usually uh, contractual. There's a contract. There's an agreement. And this agreement might be explicit. It might be a legal agreement that you sign of, you know, sign with your cell phone provider, you know, MTN or Vodacom or whoever, you know, they give you a phone and they give you certain minutes and services and you pay them a certain amount of money per month. You know, there's, there's a mutual giving and receiving. Um, but covenant relationships are, are, are different from that. They also, now, now, here I must say, a covenant is never less than a contract, but it's always more than a contract. Okay? And in, in that sense, I think we, we challenged on, on multiple fronts as modern people in terms of our relationships. Because all relationships, there's, there's law and there's love. There's rules and there's relationship. Okay? As moderns, often we just want the, the law, so just a legal contract, just a, a, you know, no relationship, just a legal agreement of giving and receiving. We just want the rules, okay? Or, on the other hand, we just want the love. We just want the relationship without any rules. But neither of those work. Now, what a covenant is, is a covenant is law and love. It's rules and relationship. It's, it's more intimate than a merely legal relationship or contract. And yet, it's, it's more... Um, well, let me put it differently. It's more binding than a merely legal contract because it, it's, it's permanent. It's, 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 a, it's a life commitment. But it's also more intimate than a merely personal relationship where, where it's only love. Um, and, and often we, we want one or the other. We want law or love. We want rules or relationship. But covenant says, no, you must have both. You must have both. Um, then consumer relationships tend to be selfish. What can I gain through this? Whereas covenant relationships are selfless. What can I give through this, in this relationship? Um, I, I, I had, uh, when we were in French Hook, we, lived, we had a, a small congregation there and um, there was a campsite, and, and often sort of people who were down and out came, you know, and, and asked, you know, if they could stay in the campsite and just sort of recover for a while. And this one guy came to us, his name was Simon. Uh, really, he had everything going for him. He was really a handsome guy, young, you know, I think he was late teens or early 20s, um, smart, gifted musician. I mean, just, he just literally had everything going for him, except that he was a heroin addict. You know, and um, I, re I remember he was actually sent to my office by by his father, who just said, "I want nothing more to do with you." Uh, and his aunt was with us in the in the congregation. And they said, "No, you must go and see the pastor." And he, like grudgingly, said, "Okay, fine, I'll go and see the pastor." And um, I I remember the Holy Spirit just laid on my heart that scripture where where Jesus says to Peter, "Simon, Simon, 
<laughs> Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you, you know. And, and you know, I, I just shared it with him, and, and, he, and you know, all of a sudden, you know, he went from being skeptical and like, okay, fine, I'll just go and listen to what the pastor said to like, because God had actually given him that scripture a few times before, and it really spoke to him. And all of a sudden, his heart was open and so on. And anyway, to, to make a long story short, we walked the road with him, and many ups and downs. He fell a few times. Um, and I know today he's, he's married. He went over to America. He got married, and he's now a missionary somewhere in, the, in, in Asia. But one thing he said to me, he said to me, you know, us drug addicts, what you've got to understand about us is whenever we walk into a room or a house or something, we, we immediately scan to see what there is that can be sold. I think he said what, what we can boost. That was the word he used. You know, what we can boost and what we can sell, you know, to a pawn shop or, or to someone to make money to go and buy drugs. You know, so he's, he's told me, you know, that, that computer over there, you know, that speaker over there, you know, pointing out. Every, he said, without thinking about it, when I walked into your office, I just like scanned and I checked out everything that I could boost and that I could sell and get money, to, you know, to, to get a fix. And he said, it's not like I even decide to do it. It's just what I do. You know, it's, 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 it's what I do to survive. Now, here's, here's the thing. In, in relationships, we do the same. We scan the environment to see what is useful to us. What can I gain? What can meet my needs? We all do that as human beings. What can fulfill me? Okay? What can I gain through this? Um, and on the one hand, it, it's, it's a bit... Um, a bit depressing to think that most of the people who are in relationship with you are in relationship with you because they find you useful. It's a bit depressing, but before you get too angry at them, remember that you're in relationship with them because you find them useful. <laughs> okay? So the reality is that, that that is sort of our human default without realizing it. That is our human default position, you know? It, 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 it's, it's just our human nature, you know? What, is, what can I gain through this? But what covenant says is, the focus must shift from what can I gain. It's, it's not like in covenant you don't gain anything. But the focus is not on what can I gain. It's on what can I give. The focus shifts. Um, so the sh focus shifts from self-fulfillment to self-giving. God says, Abraham, I'm your shield and I am your reward. I'm giving myself to you. I'm not only giving stuff to you. I'm not only providing in your needs but I'm providing myself. I'm giving myself to you. And that's the heart of covenant, is self-giving. And, and that includes, when you give yourself, you give all of your time, you give all of your resources, you give all of your energy, you give your emotional capacity, all of that. And, and that is often what we want to avoid, because it, it costs a lot. It costs a lot. Um, another difference is that... Um, Consumer relationships are um, conditional commitments, whereas covenant relationships are unconditional commitments. And on the one hand, this is, this is the, the reason why we like consumer relationships, 
is, as, as human beings, is we're afraid to overcommit. We're afraid of giving too much. And especially our modern generation is, is notoriously known to be commitment-phobic. And when you're commitment-phobic, when, you, when you're afraid to make commitments, you're actually afraid to make covenant. You're afraid of giving yourself. And, and we, we have a battle with this because we want to be truly known and truly loved. So we, we want relationship because it's only when you give yourself fully that you can be fully known and fully loved. Yet we're afraid to do that because we're afraid, on the one hand, we'll be rejected if we give ourselves. And on the other hand, we're afraid that the other person won't be good enough and won't meet our needs if, we, if they give themselves, you know. And... and the, the, the result of this, because consumer relationships are conditional, it's conditional on, on how much I benefit from this, how much it costs me and how much I benefit from this. So, so without knowing it, you're always doing a cost-benefit analysis in the relationship. Does the benefit that I'm getting from this relationship outweigh the cost of being in this relationship. And as long as the benefit is greater, I'm in. I'm there like a bear. <laughs> you know? But as soon as the cost becomes higher than the benefit I feel I'm deriving from the relationship, I'm out. That's a consumer relationship. Now, now here's the problem with that. If, if your giving of yourself is conditional, you'll never fully give yourself. And if you're afraid of giving too much of yourself, you'll always give too little of yourself. And you'll never experience the full benefits of relationship. So consumer relationships are never fully satisfying and fulfilling because you're, you, it's always a half-hearted, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of with one foot in it, but with one foot not in it. Um, the, the, the back door is always open. Uh, there's always a way out. So I never fully give myself. But the the downside of that is that then I, I never feel fully loved because I'm not fully invested and committed in the relationship. So it doesn't actually fulfill me. It doesn't give me the fulfillment I need and, 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 and that I crave. But the other result is that both parties in the relationship, if, if it's a consumer relationship, um, feel insecure. Because... If you know I'm constantly measuring him or her to see whether he or she benefits me enough for me to stay in the relationship, then you're going to suspect that he or she is constantly measuring me to see whether I benefit them enough for them to stay in the relationship. So you're always having to perform to keep the person in the relationship. So it's, it's, it's performance-based relationship. Consumer relationships are performance-based relationship. And, and you'll never feel secure in a consumer relationship because you'll always wonder, am I doing enough? Am I, in the cost-benefit analysis that they're doing in their head and in their heart, am I being good enough to justify them staying in the relationship? Or is the cost of being in relationship with me becoming too high? If I lose my job, if I lose my looks, if I lose my health, 
and the cost of being in relationship with me goes up, are they going to say, hmm, not worth it anymore? So there's an there's a insecurity at the heart of consumer relationships. And you can never fully be yourself because you're like, I know myself and I know myself is not good enough. So you can never fully be yourself and you can never be secure. You're always afraid that you're not performing well enough and the relationship's going to end. So there's an insecurity. You can never relax in the relationship. Whereas in, in, in covenant relationships, there's also performance, but the relationship comes before the performance. It's a performance that flows out of right relationship. It's, it's, it's a performance that's like, I've given myself fully to you, and I love you. I'm fully invested in you, and therefore I want to serve you. Therefore I want to provide in your needs. But not because that is going to earn the right for me to stay in relationship with you. But because I love you. I care about you. I want to meet your needs because I care about you. Not in order to purchase your commitment to me. Then consumer relationships say, I'll, uh, you, you'll ad adapt to me or I'll go. Covenant relationships say, no, I'll, I'm willing to adapt to you and I'll stay. I won't go. I'm committed to you as a person, even if that means I need to change. Even if that means um, there are things that I have to sacrifice. I'm willing to pay the cost, even the cost of changing in order to be in relationship with you. And um, let me maybe just mention this. In, in, in Genesis um, 15 and verse 1, God says to Abraham, do not be afraid. I'm your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Now it's, don't be afraid because I'm in covenant relationship with you. If, if you're in a consumer relationship, there'll always be an underlying anxiety and fear. But to the extent that you realize that you're in covenant relationship, that fear will leave. And that's, that's one of the ways that you can know whether you're in a covenant relationship or a consumer relationship. And then also, lastly, um, consumer relationships, you choose who you love. In covenant relationship, you love who you chose. Now, why I mentioned that, there's this old saying, first you choose who you love and then you love who you chose. But part of what that tells us, what we don't realize, is that all of our relationships start as consumer relationships. I love you, I like you, because of who you are, because of how you make me feel, because of, you know, fill in the blank. In other words, there's something about you that meets a, a need that I, that I have. That, that's where all our relationships start. But what God is saying is that our relationships cannot stay there. They have to. Some of our not all of our relationships. Now, let me just clarify this. There's a place for consumer relationships, you know. I'm not saying you must go and make a covenant with pick and pay, and that I'm always going to be committed to pick and pay, and I'm going to buy it from them no matter what happens, even if checkers or shop rights prices are much better, or spa's prices are much better, you know, if spa has a special on milk, you know, and I have to pay, you know, 40% um, more at pick and pay, I'm in covenant with pick and pay, and I'm, gonna, I'm not saying that, okay? 
not all of your relationships can, because of the depth of the commitment of covenant relationships, not all of your relationships can be covenant relationships. Only some of them can. But here's the problem. Here's the problem for us as modern people. As modern people, money and the economic system and commerce and, and finances and all of that have become so important and so pervasive that all of our relationships have become commercial relationships. All of our relationships have become consumer relationships. We're so conditioned by society, by media, by ads, you know, whether it's in magazines or on, on TV or on the internet, you know, on YouTube or wherever. We're conditioned to be consumers, to see ourselves as consumers. Um, and, and, and consumerism encourages our neediness and our greediness. And it, it encourages us to think like consumers. How can I get what other people have? I mean, if, if you just think about, about your phone, you know, how many of us have the newest or a relatively new version of a, of, of, of a smartphone? Okay? And then if, if you think about how much of the capacity of it do you really use? Okay? Most of us don't use nearly all of it. Most of us, the previous smartphone we had was actually good enough. But then a new version came out. <laughs> and you get commercial FOMO. <laughs> and you want the new version. It's not like you really need it, but you, you want it. Right? And what I'm saying is, I, I don't think we appreciate as modern people to what extent we've been conditioned to think like consumers. And, and the problem... It's not, the, the reality is we are consumers. You consume air, you consume food, you consume love, you consume all kinds of stuff, right? So, so it's, it's, we, we are needy, so, so we do consume. I'm not denying that. But being a consumer means that that consumerism, that, that consumer way of thinking infiltrates all of your life. And, and, and this is the problem. They call it the um, commercialization or the consumerization of life that relationships that used to traditionally be covenant relationships have started becoming consumer relationships. I, I heard this tragic story, and, and if it weren't so tragic, it would actually be funny, about um, a Chinese media star, I can't remember, movie star or something, uh, obviously a, a quite a handsome guy, and he ma married this Chinese lady, um, and, you know, they were like a power couple, you know, one of those. And then um, they had children, and the children weren't that pretty. <laughs> and then he started digging around, and he found out that this lady had had plastic surgery. <laughs> when he married her, he only knew her after the plastic surgery. When he married her, she was like, she looked good. But that was because she'd had plastic surgery. And he sued her for deceiving him. I'm, I'm, I'm not lying to you. I'm telling you the truth. He sued her for deceiving him, and he got a divorce and sued her. I, I don't know what the outcome of the case was. But, I mean, it tells you so much. It tells you that his children are just accessories, consumer products, and he wants the best products because, because he's rich and he wants beautiful children. 
Can you see how a family, I mean, your own children, your wife and your children, it's, it's no longer, to, to that guy at least, and, and I mean, this is an extreme case, but to a lesser extent, it's often like that in our thinking without us realizing it. Um, it's no longer, I'm fully committed to you because of who you are. It's like, what's important about you is what benefit you bring to me. How, how, how much benefit I can get for how little cost. And that commercialization means that our relationships that used to be covenant relationships have become consumer relationships. And that performance that it requires means that at home, amongst your friends, because marriage is supposed to be a covenant relationship, friendships, or at least certain friendships are supposed to be covenant uh, Malachi 2, I'm not going to bring up the scriptures, but Malachi 2 talks about um, your marriage partner, the partner of your marriage covenant. Your wife is, you know, marriage is a covenant. Uh, in in um, 1 Samuel 20, uh, Jonathan makes a covenant of, of kindness or a covenant of friendship with David. So certain relationships are supposed to be covenant relationships so that I'm committed to you no matter what. I'm not doing a cost-benefit analysis. It's not about what you can bring to me. You give all of you to me, and I give all of me to you unconditionally. And, and if someone attacks you, I'm not going to say, well, what it's going to cost me, how much I'm going to lose in order if I have to join a fight. Your enemies are my enemies. Part, part of the, the ritual was you took off your belt, which contained your weapons, your sword, and so on, and, and you exchanged belts. And, and you said, my weapons are at your disposal, and your weapons are at my disposal. Even if it costs me my life, I'm going to enter the fight with you. In, in other words, there are certain relationships in, in, in the family, at home, and, and amongst friends and so on, where you're supposed to be able to relax and be yourself and know that even when yourself is not good enough, you're still going to be loved and accepted. And in modern life, because of the commercialization of all relationships, even marriage and friendship and all that kind of stuff, um, there is no such safe space anymore for many people. There's no place where you can just be yourself, safely be yourself, without being evaluated and feeling I have to perform. There's no more relational safe space because that's what covenant relationship is. It's relational safe space where I can be myself, where I don't have to be afraid. Don't be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield and I'm your exceedingly great reward. Don't be afraid, Abraham, I've made a covenant commitment to you. You're okay. I'm committed to you. Some people are always afraid, always anxious, always worrying, always trying to perform because they always feel they have to measure up and make it worth the other person's while to be in relationship with them. Maybe some of you can relate to that as well. So, the, the, the problem is not that there are consumer relationships. Not all of our relationships must be covenant relationships. Some are going to remain consumer relationships, and that's fine. The problem is if all of our relationships become consumer relationships, if our marriages, if our friendships, if our church relationships become consumer relationships as well. And many people do that. People go church shopping, church shopping and church shopping. It's like, where can I get the most benefit for the least cost? Okay. And, and, and the problem with that is it doesn't understand covenant, and covenant is at the heart of the gospel and discipleship. 
And, and if you approach Christianity with a consumer mentality, consumer Christianity is not true Christianity. Most of modern Christianity, most of what you see, especially on the media, on TV and so on, is consumer Christianity. It's not true Christianity. It's trying, Christianity that tries to find the path of least resistance. Whereas discipleship, Jesus says, is there's a lot of resistance. You, 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 you actually depart from the path of least resistance in order to follow the path of discipleship and Christianity. And there's this interesting story in Genesis 29, just to give you an example of this. Um, after Jacob stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? So you can see sort of the commercial thinking there, okay? which, which is not wrong. I mean, there's a place, like I said, for it. Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. They struggled to translate that word, the Hebrew word for weak there. It can be delicate or ugly or weak. You know, but, you know, in contrast, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lo- had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. And in verse 30 it says, so we know how Laban tricked. I'm not going to go into the depth of the story. It's a very interesting story. But how Laban tricked um, Jacob and gave him Leah. Now, I always wonder how drunk must you have been on your wedding celebration in order to realize, not to realize that you've got the older sister rather than the younger sister. But be that as it may. The, the result of it is Jacob's love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. Because Rachel was more beautiful. And, and you can see that they started off on a commercial footing. What are your wages? You know, what do you want? And he said, I want one of your daughters. Basically purchasing her. And, and that commercial sort of approach, that consumer commercial approach, entered into the marriage, which should have been a covenant relationship. And the result of it was bad. I, I, Actually, I should, I should read that portion to you as well, because it's, 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 it's kind of sad and tragic, but also very instructive. Um, in verse 31, it says, When the Lord saw that Leah had not, uh, was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant uh, and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Can you see how she's trying to earn her husband's love? By giving him children. Okay, I'm not beautiful enough, but at least I can give him children. You know, my sister cannot give children at the moment, but I can give children. You know, maybe my children will earn his love. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord has heard uh, that I am not loved. So even the first child didn't work. I'm still not loved. He gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Um, which uh, means the one who hears, so God has heard. Um, but once again, you know, she's trying to earn Jacob's love by giving him children. Again she conceived, and, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons, and she named him Levi. Uh, Levi sounds like, uh, and may derive from, be derived from the Hebrew word attached. I just want my husband to be attached to me. I just want him to love me. 
And, and I've given him three sons now. Maybe, maybe now this will be enough for him to love me. Verse 35 says, And she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. And she named him Judah, which means praise in Hebrew. Then she stopped having children. Um, and, and the tragedy of it was because this consumer mentality had entered into their marriage from the beginning, she constantly felt, she was afraid, and, 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 and she felt unloved. She felt my husband doesn't love me. I, I need to earn his love. I need to earn his attachment. And in the end, she gave up and she said, I'm going to praise the one who loves me unconditionally, who loves me covenantally. I'm going to, I'm going to not focus on my husband anymore. I'm going to focus on the Lord. He loves me unconditionally. He loves me covenantally. And I'm going to look to him for my fulfillment, no longer to my husband. And the interesting thing is, it's from Judah's line that the Messiah came. And I think that's profound. Now, let me, let me just go back uh, in closing to, um, to, to the scripture in, in, in Genesis 15. We, we see this, this strange um, portion where Abraham, you know, takes, Abraham brought all of these, the animals to, to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite to each other. Um, the birds of didn't cut, and when the birds of prey came, he chased them away. And then it says, as the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. And thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then the, uh, uh, it says the Lord made a covenant. Uh, it says in verse 17, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. And what we see here is the covenant being cut. Let me just maybe put it to you this way. Covenant, at the, at the heart of covenant, there's a bit of a tension. Of course, on the one hand, performance is necessary, but love and relationship is necessary. Love, law is necessary, but love is necessary. There must be rules, but there must also be relationship. Um, and, and, and you cannot have relationship without rules, but rules without relationship also just leads to rebellion. So there's a, there's a bit of a tension there. Um, and how, how does God deal with his people? Because on the one hand, there are the terms of the covenant. There are terms to a covenant. There, there are commitments that you make in a covenant, promises that you make in a covenant. And, and what, if, what if one party or both are not keeping the promises of a covenant? That's a problem, okay? And, and, and yet, that would then exclude us from relationships. So, so God's problem is this. On the one hand, he, he cannot bless because this is what, what this covenant is about. It says, Abraham, I'll bless you and make you a great nation and all that kind of stuff. And I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, etc. God cannot bless a disobedient people. But if God cannot bless disobedient people, then he can't bless anyone. Because his people have always been disobedient. So, so, but, and yet God promises. He says, I will bless you. And I will not only bless you, but I'll make you a blessing to the nations. How, how is God going to fulfill his unconditional promise to bless the nations and bless his people when his people are not obedient and fulfilling the terms and the, the, the conditions, the stipulations of the covenant. Um, and, and what you would do in Jeremiah, if you can just bring up that scripture on Jeremiah 34 verse 18, it says those 
who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me. I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walk between the pieces. So, so this scripture gives us a bit of insight into Genesis 15. Abraham did that. He cut the pieces and he put the pieces opposite each other. Now, now what happened was you walked between the pieces and, and we have written contracts, you know, that we sign. But in those days, it was oral culture. And then you made an oral, a verbal commitment. You said, I will fulfill the terms of the covenant. And you walk between the pieces and you pointed at these carcasses, these bleeding carcasses, and you said, may this be done to me and worse if I break the terms of the covenant. And then you invoked certain curses over yourself if you broke the terms of the covenant and certain blessings if you kept them. And, and here's... Yes, God's solution to the problem, you know, because of our obedience as God, uh, disobedience as God's people, we, we have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant as we should have. God, we should receive the curse of the covenant that are attached, attached to disobedience. But God wants to give us the blessing. So, so what did God do? Because he knew, he knew that if he makes a covenant with his people, they will break it. They have always, they will always. We're human, we're fallible. So God decided to make a covenant with himself. So it says, while Abraham was sleeping, God made a covenant with Abraham, but Abraham was sleeping through the cutting of the Abrahamic covenant. And a smoking fire pot and a burning torch, representing God the Father and God the Son, walked through the pieces. And God cut covenant with himself. God the Father on behalf of the Godhead, God the Son on behalf of humanity. And he said... May this be done to me if I ever break the terms of the covenant. And then on behalf of man, he said, May this be done to me if you ever break the terms of the covenant. Can you see what God did? He took the curses of, the covenant, of, of disobedience to the covenant upon himself. So here comes Jesus, the fiery torch, who walked through the pieces on behalf of mankind. And he lived the perfect life, keeping the terms of the covenant perfectly. In other words, earning all the blessings of the covenant. He lived a life that earned and deserved all the blessings of the covenant. Then, because in the old covenant in Genesis 15, he pointed and said, may this be done to me if you break the covenant, the terms of the covenant. He died a death on the cross and experienced all the Curses for disobedience to the covenant, for not keeping the terms of the covenant. In other words, he lived the life we should have lived but could not and died the death that we should have died in our place. Can you see how covenant is central to the gospel? And can you see how God solves the gospel, solves the problem of God's on the one hand conditional and yet on the other hand unconditional commitment to us? And when you understand this, when you understand covenant, and when you understand the covenant at the heart of the gospel, this is what it results in. It results in an obedience, but a fearless obedience. An obedience that is not, I'm obey so that I'll be good enough that you will accept me. But an obedience because I'm already accepted and already loved. And I know I can never lose that privileged position of being so loved. 
I am as loved as Jesus deserves to be. And he already took the curse. It says, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And Jesus became a curse for us. He even hung there and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All the punishments that we deserved because of our disobedience to the covenant, Jesus took upon himself so that we wouldn't have to receive that. So we wouldn't have to suffer that. Now, what does that have to do with our covenant relationships with one another? One of the big problems that we have with covenant relationship is it's risky. It can be abused. If you give yourself that unconditionally and that fully, the other person, you're vulnerable to the person. The other person can abuse you. And here's the bad news. No matter who they are, they usually do. But if you know that there is a God who loves you perfectly and will provide in all your needs, then you can take the risk. If God took the risk of being in covenant with you, even though he knew you'd break the covenant and wouldn't fulfill it completely, then you can take the risk of being in covenant with other people, even if you know they're going to break it, even if you know they're not always going to be fully faithful to it. Because you know there's one person who is in covenant with you will always be faithful. So it leads to a performance, but a fearless performance. An obedience, a doing the right thing, but not out of fear of rejection, but out of love and out of security and safety. It sets us free to be in covenant with one another when we truly understand God's covenant with us. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.